1: We're going to read Psalm 119, verse 33 to 40. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your status, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covet your snares. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servants who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach which I dread for your judgments are good Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's awesome. There is no one like him. He's the first and the last. He's the omnipotent God. Hallelujah. The all-powerful, the all-knowing, everywhere-present God. Who who else can challenge the Lord? When the Lord speaks, it is final. And today he says, be still and know I'm God. Hallelujah. Oh God, still our hearts. Father, we come as we are. Just as we are. You say we should come like children. We come with children' trust. Childlike trust. And we come and we want to sit on your lap. Father, have your way in us. Have your way in us. Do a new work in us. We are yours. We are the clay in your hands. Oh God, mold us to your taste. Mold us to that shape that which you destined before we were born that we will be. Oh God, align us to our divine destiny and purpose. Mighty God, I thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, take over. Overshadow us. Overshadow us. And as you overshadow us, every fear, every anxiety, every stress, every pain. You're going out. You're going out. You're going out. Lift up your heads, all ye gates be ever, be lifted up, you everlasting door. Everlasting door is opening. The kingdom of God is coming in. And as he comes in, everything that is not of him is going out. Fear going out, lack going out, hopelessness going out, sickness and infirmity. You're going out because the king of glory has come in. Hallelujah to his name. We worship you. We worship you. We welcome you. We welcome the host of angels. We welcome the host of angels. Mirrors of angels. Angels of healing all over the place. Lord, you are wealthy. You are worthy. You are awesome. And we embrace you. We engage you. Thank you for your sweet presence. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Lord, when we don't feel like going on, you're still worthy. You are worth living for, God. You alone are worth being here for. You are worth waking up for. You are worth my time. All of it. God, you are worth my sacrifices. You are worth it all, God. Because through the pain comes victory. And through victory comes joy and peace all the fruits of the spirit and everything that you have for us God heaven can be here on earth and so Jesus we just ask for that now God just make us unified with you you are worth the living God thank you for your sacrifice for what you've done for who you are God consistently all the time you are good All the time, you are good. All the time, you are good. All the time, you are good. All the time, you are good, Jesus. You are good through every season, spiritually and in the physical, every season, God. You are good. And you are here. And we thank you, Lord, for that chance for intimacy with you, God, to feel your presence. We love you, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: I've been charged by Josh to um, try to spiritually lead the wise counsel to our next steps. And um, part of when she showed me this morning I was going to do this, I was not prepared, but that's okay. Um, And sometimes we hear Josh say stuff up here that He said, hey, we're praying for this. And this is a really big decision. This has long-term consequences for our body. You know, all the things that we're able to do is because God has allowed us. And I want to encourage you. Each person in here matters. They have value. You could have the Lord speak to you that can impact this decision. And so as a body, we want to come together. Josh prays every Wednesday for this decision. He fasts and prays. We've taken that on, Nancy and I, because this is a really big deal. And everybody in here is part of this decision. So I'm believing for a big answer. We serve a mighty, awesome God. And so as we pray, press into the Lord and hear what he says. We are committed to this. There's lasting consequences to this decision. We believe that even we may get a yes to that space across. It's not enough. It's bigger than this. So if we believe in faith that we serve a big God, I think we'll be out of that space before our time is up. And that's what we're believing for right now. That we're going to answer our prayer, Lord. What do you have for us that will take us out of our comfort zone and really step out in faith because he will hear our prayer. The prayers of our righteous people are heard. There's so many things we can do. We'll impact Smyrna, Georgia, the country, the world. That is the God that we serve, and that's how I think. I think big picture. And so I want to encourage you as a body, and if you're in a home group, pray. The leadership of the home groups, pray as a body. Your small groups, lift it up to the Lord. And this is a, make a commitment to because he will hear our prayer. So as I, I pray, I want you to understand that it's not just to, uh, Josh's uh, responsibility or Sarah's or the wise counsel. It's all of us. It is all of us. We're in this together. Because what God will do is a big deal. So I ask that you just press in, be faithful, and listen to what he's saying. So Heavenly Father, we ask that you would press into our spirits as we lift up this really big decision. This is not a a head decision. This is a heart decision that we're going after you, that we want to think big. We want to think more, but only if you desire it and only what you have for us. Lord, I ask that you bring peace to Josh and Sarah and the leadership. I'm grateful that I get to serve and submit to their authority. Lord, we know they press into God, and we know every part of this church matters. We're a body of many parts, and each person matters. So thank you, Jesus, that you're going to answer our prayer in a big way. I'm believing in faith that what appears impossible to us is not impossible to you. So thank you, Jesus, in advance of answering our prayer, and we will honor you with what you've allowed us to steward. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
3: Yeah, it's so good to be a part of conversations like this, and we're not trying to like, figure out how to get you guys to give us more money. It would be cool if that happened. But I've sat through that so many times, and it ended up being about, now what are you deciding you are going to give us? Where we just really want you guys praying deeply right now. So we mean it. We need it. Um, So we're going to continue in Mark. And this is one of those passages that I am certain, if I wasn't preaching through Mark, I would not preach it. And nobody else would either. So you're going to have the joy of hearing me speak on a topic that is caused me to turn myself into community into God more than any other passage I've ever preached to you. I've had more rich conversations this week about this than any other passage I've ever spoke to you. So just a little bit of recap, though. We're at chapter 9 now, about to go into chapter 10. And previously, last week, is when Jesus again drops the bomb on the disciples that he's going to die and he's going to be resurrected, and they have no way to fathom that. It's that It's not even that they're hearing it and deciding not to listen. They're just like, not a clue what's happening. No clue. Just smiling at Jesus like, keep talking. I don't get it. And he also drops a bomb on them. The least will be the greatest because on the way to his cross, they start having the conversation about who is the greatest. And it's ironic. He's on his way to die and they're talking about in their midst, which one of us is the greatest? And so he drops the bomb on them. You don't really understand greatest. You haven't yet. You won't. But the greatest is that those who would serve. It's who's the least. And I don't think we get it, just to be honest with you, especially in American church. We still honor people who are powerful. We still love to win. Man, it feels good to win, right? Like you're Georgia fans, right? We gave you a coach from Alabama, and you won. That's all it took. That's all it took. You usually don't win that game, though, so good job. But it feels good to win, right, even in Christianity. So we follow people who win, right? We follow people who've had the conversation, who's the greatest, and figured out, it's me. We follow those people. We don't follow many people who are super humble and hide and stay out of the limelight and stay off stages. And these disciples weren't interested in following a Jesus that did that. They were interested in following a Jesus that would win, 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 no matter what. That was who they wanted to follow. And he kept saying to them, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, also, the least is the greatest. And they're like, what kind of riddle is this? Stop. I know you don't mean that, because you're here to deliver us from all of these idiots, and you're going to win the war. That's what you're doing. So this week, we jump into, man, it's awesome. I just want you to just just stay in your seats. I'll read it to you. This is Mark 9. I'm going to go, do you have 42 or 41 to start, Bill? 42, okay. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him if he had a great millstone, or if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better that you enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into, guess what? Hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Can I get an amen? (laughs) For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt lost its saltiness... How will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So just a little bit of what's happening here. Just real simple stuff first. Nobody wants to go to hell. Right? Like that's just like one of those. Oh, that's that you're explaining hell to me? That sounds amazing. That's not that's never gonna happen. In my Christian history, every time I heard the topic of hell connected to sin, it typically did not produce good fruit in me. So I wanted, I'm going to be honest about my story. And I've heard many, many sermons about hell, right? Like, I've preached, I think, the worst sermon I have ever preached about this topic to a bunch of teenagers at a youth house. And it was at a time when I was more insecure about my identity in Christ than any other time in my life. I was struggling in sin as a youth pastor, making bad decisions and feeling still like there's a call in my life and not really knowing what to do. And our youth ministry had gone from a big to kind of smaller. And I was just insecure. And so these, I remember this one night, these like four girls show up and they're like young teen girls and they're super excited to be hanging out with a bunch of kids. And they're like, this is going to be awesome. I preach the strongest fire and brimstone message you've ever heard. And all four of those girls weeped the entire time, just like, ah, ah, tears coming out. Never saw those people again. <laughs> okay, here's what you're going to say. Well, people don't want to hear. People don't want to hear the truth. Here's where I want to correct some of us. So the telos of the Christian life is not about not going to hell. What's the telos? That's the aim or the goal. It's not about that. It's not to be preached that way. It's not to be given to someone that way. The telos of the Christian life, or the aim or goal, is to be included in the life of God. And if that is your emphasis, then who in the would want to go to? It's a different way to look at it. So when this is used as ammunition to convince people that you don't want to go where we already know you don't want to go, who wants to go to hell? It doesn't work. It can only be used When looking at yourself and realizing that the decisions that you might be making personally could put you in a situation that would feel a lot like this, which is what this is meant to say. This hell that's talked about. So, really quickly, this conversation had to be hard still. That was not, like when you read that, did anybody think, like, this is really good. I feel good. Did anybody, if you say that, then you're just lying. It's meant, it's intended, it's intended to do something in the life of a disciple that is literally walking with Jesus and continually making the wrong choice. At no, get this context in place. At no point was Jesus saying, I'm done with you. This is all in the process of growing deeper into the life of God, one degree to the next. Remember, a degree goes from 66 to 67, and you don't even know it. And so in this walk, this is intended to jolt. And really be like a tune-up to make them go, what? Did you you say something about hell and sin and me going, worms dying and what? It's meant to be so jolting that they have to examine. So really quickly, I'm going to read to you 41 and 42 real quick, if you could bring that up, Mm -hmm. Bill. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and were thrown into the sea. So pause right there. First thing my brain did was go to, yeah, I get it. Like, don't, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. I don't want to sin. Like, I, I don't want to do that. Here's, here's the first pitfall to this passage that I think we need to be very aware of. We need to be very aware of this pitfall. When we start labeling which sins are worse than others and start building ministries around that, we are becoming a stumbling block. We aren't keeping people from a stumbling block. I'll be honest with you. I've seen whole denominational movements built around not doing three or four sins while the true sin festers and sits right underneath all of that. Things like hate for your brother or jealousy and envy. Things like someone else is being used by God, which happened in last week's passage. God, that We tried to stop them, but they wouldn't follow us, things like that. So the movements I've been a part of that have decided, here's the sins we're comfortable with labeling and making sure people don't do, I wanna run from that. I wanna run from that. When you tell me that I can just be a Christian if I decide to not drink, to not smoke, to not dance at the university I went to, which is, dancing is ridiculously dangerous, guys. I recommend that you never dance. Unless you're celebrating, uh, touchdown. Uh, some of the other ones that are really easy don't be, uh, don't be gay, don't. Um, these are ones we want to put on websites and say, here is here is what you don't want to do if you want to be a part of our group. While all the while underneath the surface, we're okay with ones that really create these things. We're okay with the ones that lie beneath. ...that these grow out of. So why do we do that? Because it's easier to tell somebody to not do these four things... ...and build a group of people around that... ...than to do the work of the Christian life... ...which is long-suffering patience. It looks like a process that none of you have mastered. Because if we can master those set of sins, we're good, right? And it's easy to keep people out if they don't believe those aren't... ...you don't have to come in here, right? But it's not easy to master something that goes from one degree to the next... And it's not easy to talk about, I don't care who you are, you have something hidden inside of you that is sinful. I don't care who you are. From the stage to the sound booth to the seats, all of us have something as disgusting as any sin that we can talk about in here. And if you want to pretend like you've, you've rooted all of it out, you know, because you've decided to tuck in your shirt, you're not going to show any thing that shouldn't be shown... <laughs> If you want to decide that because you don't cuss or drink or smoke, and if you want to decide because you don't do this thing, that your life in Christ is complete, you have just missed the most important thing. It is to be drawn into the life of God, and it's a process. So don't fall for the first pitfall or the trap to decide a set of sins that means if you don't do those, everything is great. It's much deeper than that. It's much more complicated than that. It festers. It doesn't even know when talking to Jesus that it is sin and thinks the others are sin for healing people. The disciples are literally telling Jesus, we tried to stop them from casting out demons, thinking that that was sin, and then realizing, but not even realizing, that that very act is a dangerous sin. That's my, I don't care who you are. You cannot build a set of sins that make it all easy because of that. The only thing that does to me is say, I must throw myself onto Jesus or I'm lost because nobody really knows what's going on except for him. And if at any point in my life, my structure systems or sound doctrine can be done without him, look out for me. Stop coming to this church. It's not going to be beneficial. But if you hear me talking about throwing myself at the feet of Jesus and saying, that's some hard junk you just talked about. You're talking about hell three times in this passage. I'm scared in my heart. If you ha- if you hear me have conversations that make me rely on him and make me be honest with you, that, I believe, is the telos of the Christian life. That, I believe, is the aim or goal. It's not as easy as just selecting a few to not do. The second pitfall, I think, is deciding that we think we know what all of the stumbling blocks are for other people. We're actually a stumbling block in that process. These people are trying to help Jesus by casting out demons, and he is for them. And they're saying he's a stumbling block, but he's saying to his own disciples, the very act of what you're doing right now to your brothers, who you don't know, is the stumbling block. So again, how many countless sermons have been preached on? If you could just not sin and you could just not want to go to hell, that would be great. And you're like, okay, and check. Nowhere closer to God today. Awesome. This is the truth of this passage, right? We're afraid to not say hard things because we're supposed to tell it like it is. I'm going to be honest with you. People who tell it like it is rarely tell it like it is. People who stand on this truth and I'm just going to say it like it is, I'm not afraid to preach the truth of the gospel, Explain to me what you're preaching. Walk me through it. And let's not make sure that fear is not motivating that conversation. Because when fear is motivating it, you will get a response. People will respond to what you're saying, and it will affect them. See, these messages for me when I was a kid became stumbling blocks for me. It literally became the reason why it wasn't even worth. Like, that's just simple, right? Like, so for me, it's like, it's hell terrible? Of course. Like, who wants to? I don't want to be around any kind of maggot or worm, period let alone an unquenchable fire, and <laughs> eternal damnation. Amen? <laughs> Yay. But let's also do the reverse in heaven. So heaven sounds amazing as well, right? But doesn't it sound a little... Let me just present something to you. Heaven, streets of gold, amazing. Honestly, though, like... Pearly gates, like, amazing. Like, you can walk by them, cool. What makes heaven heaven, right? Like, if God isn't in heaven and then there's pearly gates and... I could give nothing about a pearly gate or a golden street. It would be probably worse than hell. If I walk up into that place and I'm like, these streets are gold, those are pearly gates, where is Jesus? <laughs> so what, what if Jesus is then in the fire? Would the fire be heaven? So what is this saying, right? Like, I'm not trying to explain to you how, don't, don't fall for another pitfall. What are you you saying about hell? What are you saying about heaven? I'm saying that true heaven is Jesus. In Smyrna as it is in heaven, kingdom come to this earth. I'm saying we don't have to wait till there's pearly gates, which honestly, I was talking to a friend, I'm like, I'd rather walk on grass. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's more comfortable. But if Jesus is there, I don't care where I'm walking, including if it's in the fire like we just sang about. Jesus is there if God is there. So the telos of the Christian life, the aim or goal is not to make sure we don't Go to hell, or that we crave heaven, but to know that we can be brought into this life of God right now. Literally right now, the kingdom of God is among us through Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. And that plays out differently than, have you decided not to drink, smoke, curse, dance, or whatever else, like your sacred cow is that can't be tipped. Or if you see someone else doing it, uh, that's not a believer. That's not a believer. That's not behavior of a believer you better be careful that you're not becoming the disciple that's saying, stop casting out demons.
1: Because
3: the hell language is meant to be thought of in terms of, if it's happening in you, cut your hand off. There's no point here where it says, find your neighbor if they're sinning, (laughs) cut their hand off. (laughs) So it's not used as a motivator to others. It's going to do the opposite, right? It's, It's just... But it points to these sins that are deeper. And you can pull up 38 through 40 really quickly, Bill, if you wouldn't mind. This is what is happening that's starting the sin conversation, right? Like it's been preached a lot where in this previous passage we would have just been sure that it was about this set of things to never do. Here's the sin that's provoking this conversation. John said to them, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop them. Because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop them. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. This is the context of sin that's happening. Look, this is hard for us to really grasp. Look at what's happening. They're pointing at people who are doing a good work in Jesus' name and they're not okay with it. They're pointing at people who are doing something that Jesus wants them to do, and they're not okay with it for whatever reason. Maybe that group is not from their tribe. They haven't set to the system of they haven't been following Jesus. They don't do it the way that we do it for sure. Like they had, they had people raising their hands in their church. They don't do it the way that we do it. They don't read the Apostles' Creed during offering. They don't let people run around the sanctuary. They, they only sit. That church, Jesus. We're trying to stop them because all they do is sit in their seats during worship and they don't even have a guitar. Like, they don't preach exegetically, right? They don't, they don't have a hymn. Like, all this stuff. They don't. This is the type of sin that is being pointed out here. This is the type of sin, the thing that comes from me to someone else that sizes myself up and says that I'm a better in a better spot than them. This is the type of sin. This is the type of sin he's trying to tell them. I'm on my way to die. Are you? No, Jesus, we're not. We're talking about who's greatest. If you want in on this, we still got room. It's not going to be about who's the greatest. Listen, it's not going to be about how called you are or how gifted you are. It's not. It's not going to be if a thousand people will listen to you. It's not going to be if people have prophesied to you, you've got this gift. And you are going to do great things. Like, it's not that. It's not. It's if you are humble before the Lord. And if you don't believe that you are more important than anybody else. And that you are so emptied of self that at any moment you can love others well. This is the telos of the Christian life. This is everything. This is this is everything. Just really quickly. Here, the words used for hell start with taking it back to the valley of Hinnon, which is what this word for hell comes from, which was a place that Ahaz used to take people, child sacrifices, and kill them and in, a, in an attempt to appease the god of Melech. And they would also worship the god of fire there. And for years, this place represented some of Israel's most grievous sins, their ways to get back to And kind of mimic the world. And then so King Josiah comes along, and he notices this, and he's like, we are stopping this. They used to play drums so loud that you couldn't hear children being sacrificed here. So Josiah comes along, and he's like, this is junk. We're not doing this anymore. We have to clean this up. So he comes in. He turns it into a wasteland or a dump, and it's called Gehenna. And basically all of Israel's refuse or all of their nastiness is funneled into this where literally worms lived forever, and fire never stopped. And that is horrifying and disgusting, right? And this is the picture here of what's being talked about. This is what it's like when you have something in you that could tamper with the divine, unbelievable unity and the divine, selfless love of Jesus Christ. This refuse, this place, this nastiness is what it is like if you decide that that's okay to stay in you. And so it would be better for you to cut an arm off, to take a foot off, to gouge out an eye. And this is not what's being said. It's not make sure and do it and get it done. It's life with Jesus is so good that who in the heck would not want to do that? That's what's being said. In the first part of this passage, it confused me because it sounded like only Christian brothers mattered like anybody who doesn't give a drink of water to a brother in Christ. And I struggle with that. I talk to our staff about it. Why just only, why only believers? Like, is it saying here that I'm supposed to treat my believer friends better than people who don't believe in Christ? And I struggle with that. And it's not. It's saying that anyone who's truly in Christ and understands the selflessness of what he's about, it would be ridiculous to think that that could happen in them. It would be ridiculous to see that coming from a human that I will judge you and exclude you from the kingdom. It would be like harming a little child, which would never happen. And so if that is growing in you, you on you, rip off an arm, tear out an eye. It's going to be better if you do that. It's like disease. So what is sin? If you want to label it, I believe it's real, right? I just don't believe it's as petty as these surface-related issues. When somebody tells me, you need to make a stand about this topic, I always want to say, well, what's underneath that? What's the thing ca- causing that? Because if we cleanse that out thing, they still have that in thing, right? So, so you want me to say to someone who already is far from God, who's never tasted and seen that he is good, who already feels like the world is against him, you want me to just reaffirm in them all of those voices, and they're going to taste and see the love of my God? Well, Josh, you're just not afraid to say it like it is. I'm very unafraid to say it like it is. I think the like it is is very different. I think the things growing underneath cause things to come out. So what's growing underneath? It looks like insecurity. It looks like it looks like self-hate. It looks like comparison. It looks like I'm never going to do it right. So what, what do we got to do to those things? That's what I want to do. That's That's what I believe is talked about here, but but you rip it out because life is too good. In the last part of this passage, 49 and 50, if you can bring this up, it talks about, it seems like it takes like a weird turn. Like, So you just talked about hell, you're talking about sin, root it out, let's do that. And then you want to talk about salt. And it talks about salt in this way. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So Leviticus 2.13, if you'll pull this up. This is talking back to a time when they would make sacrifices to be accepting before God. And for a sacrifice of this type to be accepting before God, you would have to salt it. Literally salt it and then give it on the altar and it will be completely consumed. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall salt. So, so what is asking to be sacrificed here? What is, what is the goal? Who is being sacrificed? And it's us. And if you don't believe me, Romans 12. if You pull that up for me. Bill, this has become one of my favorite passages in life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Same language as the altar to be consumed. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and here it is. How do you become unsalty? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but think with sober judgment, each in accordance to the measure of faith God has assigned to you. And then it goes through the offices of the church and how to be used. And then it goes through what to do in community. So the idea here that we're trying to get from this passage that's talking about ripping things out of you if there's sin and not harming someone. And you can actually go ahead and go to verse 8, Bill, if you wouldn't mind. I just want to read through this for you. The one, I'm sorry. Go to the next verse, verse 9. Let love, so all of this, just really quickly. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Present yourself a living sacrifice, salted before the Lord. And the fruit of that looks like this. Let love be genuine abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So so to me, as I read this passage, as I understand the idea of what sin and hell equal, and I understand what he's asking us to do, he's trying to throw us back into a dependence on him and each other. This passage is the way to be alive in the world. The third pitfall, you can do Christianity alone. You cannot do Christianity alone. Your gift doesn't even work. It's like a a brick on a house outside of a house. It doesn't even work unless it's in community. It doesn't work unless you're being thrown on your brother and having conversations about things like this. It definitely doesn't work if you feel like you have mastered a list of sins that will keep you out of hell. That's not even what it's about. It does work if this life is so good with God that in him all things are possible, and in him I am with my brother at all times. That is when it works. And so today, literally... I just want to share one for me. My son right now is at a tournament. He's playing baseball. You guys have heard my story about how unbelievably competitive I am and how unhealthy it is, and that's real. It's not, I'm not trying to be cool. It's real, and it's ugly, and it's not fun. And I don't understand why it's typically there. But things that happen, like when Noah's practicing, he's a seven-year-old playing in a tournament right now, which 7 year olds shouldn't be playing in. Let's just be honest. Um, so Noah's out practicing, and he misses a ground ball. And I'm a genius because I need to tell him, you missed a ground ball. Hey, you missed a ground ball. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you. You just got to put your glove on the ground, dude. Just this is it. Like how many dads have done this? This is what you do, right? Like catch the ball up here, dude. You don't have to be afraid of it. I'm tossing it to you. Like swing the bat, bro. Are you afraid to swing the bat? Swing it. Do you want to hit it? Do you want to start on this team? Do you want to be a player on this team? Do you want to be good at stuff? I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. No, I love you, buddy. I love you, buddy. It's all good. I love you. Like, these things. So I'm just to be honest with you. All of us struggle with sins that we could list out. There are sins in our lives that we don't even know how to talk about. And I don't even know that you're supposed to. But I do know that in the presence of Jesus, he can surface those things. And he can handle them and heal them. And I'm being honest with you when I don't know how to handle that. Also, Friday morning playing basketball with our 12 group, I don't know how to handle, like, not being uber competitive in a weird setting and having to call Jordan and be like, are we all right? Okay. (laughs) Literally, did I not call you? And I had to say to him, I'm just weird in this area. I I don't know how to do competition and it be healthy. Like, I just... I just don't. I told you at the time I was on vacation and I'd gotten to a ping pong tournament with 12-year-olds. And I was totally fine being the only 30-year-old and winning it. I could care less. Like, totally fine. There's something in me. The funny thing is I make jokes about it. I literally have to pray every day about this because it is deep in me and it feels so unhealthy and I have no idea to get a handle on it. Like, I try and lasso it and it's like, see ya. I'm like, I'm on my way to practice, I'm gonna be the best dad in the world, in the world, in the world. First sake, I'm like, no! Stop it! Come over here, sit down. Look at me, in the eyes. Do you like to play baseball? You do like to play baseball. Do you wanna to go to the major leagues? You don't? Oh. Okay. That literally happens every time. I don't know how to get a handle on it. I don't, and some of the dads in here, you can relate to that. It's a real thing. And it puts pressure on our kids to be things that they don't need to become. It's not okay, and it's not healthy. And I don't want it in me, and I don't know how to get it out of me. And I'm not asking for all of the scientific geniuses about athletic incorporation and healing to come talk to me after service. Just pray for me. Give me some space. I'm going to feel like it's a competitive thing. I'm going to want to do it to you, and I don't want to do that. I'm serious. I want help with it. Jesus knows it. I'm willing to throw myself at his feet. And each of us, there are things we do not know how to get a grasp of or a handle of. And for me to say, well, I didn't cuss at him, and I didn't do this, that's, that'd probably be better than what I'm doing, just to be honest. That'd be awful, but that'd probably be better if it was just that easy. I'm, I won't cuss at you. I won't say you're an idiot. But what I'm doing is deeper. And the sins that he wants to grab hold of are deeper. They're deeper than just don't do these. And you want them because they'll bring life. And if you know him to be the Jesus that walks with you while you're struggling, like the disciples, you know that he won't leave you. And then you know if he has a tough conversation with you about them, he's not trying to send you to hell. He's trying to jolt you so that you can see something, to throw you on brother and sister and him, to ask tough questions. I had so many great conversations this week about this passage with friends in California, pastoral staff here, family members. I don't get this. I don't. I don't understand it. And that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to make us fall on one another because the things inside of us are so deep that we need each other to see them. And we need the grace from brother and sister. And we need to throw ourselves on Jesus and say what the disciples wouldn't, which is, I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. And they would have stopped trying to be great and just followed him. Just just in the moment when the people are casting out demons bravo demons are bad you guys are casting them out in Jesus name that's awesome guys that is awesome jesus what do we do now stay with me how different would their conversations would have looked instead of saying who's the greatest being like evidently none of us are great because we've literally failed all through this so what, why are we even following this guy right now? What's happening? What's he doing? Throw yourselves on his feet. Understand that the things that he's trying to get at are much deeper and much more significant than if you're dancing or smoking or drinking. And Somebody just heard that I told you all to dance, smoke, and drink, and that's, that's not what I said. I didn't say that. But the things are deeper, and I want to see healing in you and us as community and believers where we're not... We don't become wolves in sheep's clothing. And let's just be honest. At this point, there's a lot of just wolves in wolves clothing. This is the truth of Christianity right now. There are some of us who need to wake up and see when we are looking at something that we know is not right, it's okay for it to not be right. If this man or woman is building an empire around their name, that is a wolf in wolves clothing. Period. I don't care what TV station you're on. I don't care how many followers you have. If your ministry is about you, it is a wolf in wolf's clothing. Period. Do not buy it. I don't care how anointed you think they are. If they do it out of pride and they operate in a gift, Jesus does not accept it. That is the truth. If you don't want to hear that, turn off your TVs for a while. Sit before Jesus and understand he is looking for those who are on their way to a cross who are willing to die and sacrifice. He does not need another televangelist. He needs someone who will sit in a coffee house and let someone cry on a shoulder. He needs someone that will be there in a hospital room with someone. He needs someone that will say, I totally just did this to you. I judged you and I'm sorry. I am not trying to build a community of people that goes out and attacks the world with power and greatness in their own strength. It will look like humility. It will be noticeable. Saltiness in the presence of God will look like Romans 12. It will not look like God doing something and you are God. It will not look like you demanding to be heard. It will look like submissiveness. It will look like long-suffering. It will look like I'll suffer for you. It will look like I'm sorry. It will look like humility. These are those that are acceptable in the sight of God. These are those who have sacrificed themselves before God and have not let it become about themselves. That is what all of this is about. And those things are so deep in us, we need a Jesus that can do it when we don't know how. So, Father, if you guys would stand with me. You should feel uncertain about things. You should feel like you don't know what to do with it. That's what they felt, but weren't honest about it. You should feel like you don't really know. And because of that, say, that's why I need you. That's why Jesus is the the presence continually, the manna all throughout the Old Testament, the bread of life, not the bread king. He is our sustenance daily, and without him at any point, it just becomes a set of rules. It's deeper. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring life to you. He is in Smyrna as in heaven. He is in you as in heaven. But don't let your pride tell Jesus who he needs to become. Don't let your pride tell him that he doesn't need to let them in. Be like a little baby in his lap. One that is so completely dependent. You don't even know where your next meal is coming from. One that is so completely okay with just being in a lap. Adults don't sit in laps. We're not okay with that. Unless it's a weird, different kind of place. That's a different thing. Babies in laps are just happy to be there. That's the kind of interdependence he's asking for in us. Be like a baby who's so dependent on me that you're not even worried. Because you're going to get what you need. I'm going to give you what you need. Stay with me. Stay with me, right? Like, I'm going to root that stuff out. For those of you right now, I was going to do this, who are so fixated on one sin that you continually make and do, and you continually convict yourself and sentence yourself to hell and eternal damnation, which is horrible, let Jesus speak into what's underneath that right now. And it might not even be a sin that's underneath that. It might just be a terrible unbelief that is guiding you into something, and watch how he wants to love you through that and heal you. And watch the sin dissipate, right? Throw yourself at a Jesus that sees that you and is for you, not against you. And he's not keeping a right list of your rights and wrongs. He's just wanting you like the disciples with him. You're going to need me all the time, guys. You're going to need me all the time. So, Father, in our pitfalls, of thinking we've got it down because we don't do these sins. Forgive us for that. That's idolatry. Forgive us for forming you into a God that is so concerned that we do well on our checklist and just get to a place with pearly gates and streets of gold. And forgive us for not recognizing that you're literally in our midst, trying to do the deep work in our hearts to form us into the character of Christ and to become like you today in Jesus name so just for a few moments just spend time in his presence responding to him without any rules okay so I'll just pray for you God thank you um, that your presence is is with us in the midst of the mountaintops in the midst of the valleys and God wherever we are we know that you are there so today as we leave here, yeah, we put our trust in you, put our hope in you, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.